Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I love the smell of bread come in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I won't in again. Another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. All right. Sean Kleisinger sitting in for Michael Ball today. Today is the last Sports Cage of 2022. Next week, starting on a Wednesday, January 3rd, the Sports Cage will be coming to you live every single work week day. From uh, 3 to 6 p.m. So this is the last time the sports cage will start at 4. I mean, uh, next week at this time, we'll already be an hour and seven minutes into the program. How about that? Exciting day. Today is a Friday. And, uh, yeah, tomorrow is uh, New Year's Eve, believe it or not. December 31st tomorrow. And then we're going to turn the calendar over to 2023. Today's show is for our friends over at Nelson Homes, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. And as always, our guests appear on the Western Pizza Hotline. You can dine in, take out, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast, Western Pizza. You know the jingle. Sing it with me. Get it hot, get it fast, Western Pizza. And uh, text line is open too, 306-936-6262. Let's hear your plans for New Year's. Uh, you know, don't worry. I won't crash your party, okay? I won't crash your party. I'm just being a nice guy. I want to know what's up for tomorrow. So uh, if you could do me a kindness, just text me up. 306-936-6262. So yeah, today is the last day of our Sports Cage Year in Review shows. This is episode nine altogether. Episode 9. So a whole lot of memories we've uh, shuffled through the last couple of weeks here. And we got a few more for you to wrap up 2022. A great show lined up for you. Randy Ambrosi will be on at 5.05. Going back to a conversation we had with the CFL commissioner back on May 27th. It was uh, right after the new CFL CBA was announced. And uh, uh, Ballsy and Luke were up north there in Saskatoon at uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders training camp uh, during this conversation. So we'll relive that one. Corey Holmes at 530. Uh, Kyle Borsa, University of Regina Rams running back. He retired a few months back and well, it was just a couple weeks ago that he came back and said, you know what? I ain't done playing football, baby. Look at me. I'm a young buck. And uh, I'm ready to roll. And I uh, can't wait for it, being a big Regina Rams supporter. Can't wait to see him back in the lineup with the Horns this year. So we're going to relive that conversation at 6.05. And I promised you this yesterday, and I kind of broke the promise because I said that we were going to get the Ken Miller uh, at uh, the end of the show yesterday. But I never ended up uh, getting it, <laughs> getting to it. So do you know what we're going to do? We're going to air that one at probably uh, 6.05. Uh, 
six twenty uh, for the for the fellas. Uh, we're gonna air it for the fellas. That's my horrible Ken Miller impersonation. Hopefully, uh, uh, our one of our tech guys back there, Jim's not hearing me. I don't think Jim was a big uh, Ken Miller fan. But uh, we love Ken Miller around here. He's a part of the Plaza of Honor, baby. So we're going to relive those memories. Ken Miller went into the Plaza this year alongside Weston Dressler, of course, and our friend Mike McCullough. So those memories are coming your way in the 6 o'clock hour. But to start, let's start with this guy because he went into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame this year. And uh, he's also a contributor uh, once in a while on uh, Rider Game Days and on the Sports Cage. And Nick Lewis. Remember Nick Lewis? Yes, you do with the Calgary Stampeders. He uh, was pretty good there for a while or for basically his whole career. What am I talking about for a while? Uh, I just remember back in the mid-2000s, he had a nice connection going there with Henry Burris and uh, so on and so forth. He went to Montreal for a bit, was productive there, and uh, well, his road ends up in Hamilton in the uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And after the news was announced and after he went into the hall, Michael Ball chatted with him on the sports cage. Here's that conversation conversation. Nick Lewis joins us. Yes, he's been on the broadcast before. He is coached locally. Uh, I know from personal experience, I hired him to help my son in his college exploits. And uh, tell you what, before he started showing the generation of stars coming up how to play, he uh, did it himself for a number of years, mainly with Calgary. He goes into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame on the weekend. Uh, can you believe you're a Hall of Famer yet? Man, it's awesome. It's an awesome feeling, uh, you know, to get the, the news last March and then to have to wait. First of all, when I got the news, they, they were like, don't tell anybody until we announce it. And and then they pushed the announcement date back a couple more weeks. So it wasn't until like the middle of May. Uh, so I had to hold the news for two months before I could even tell anybody really outside of my close uh, family. And then so, and then to get the delay from the uh, from last year at the Great Cup to have to wait till now, but you know, we we got to go. Uh, it was eighteen of us, and uh, we had a great time. Yeah, I tell you what, they had to combine two classes, so it is interesting. Who's the first person that pops into your mind when when this came down, or when you're getting honored on, on the weekend? Oh, my mother, uh, without a doubt. Uh, just understanding the impact that the influence that she had on my life and, you know, just when I thought my journey was over after college and she, she continued to inspire me and, and let me know that I was going to keep playing for a long time and just take the proper steps and keep doing what you're doing and everything will work out. And, and that's exactly what happened. Nick Lewis, did she push you to come to Canada? Well, I wouldn't say she really pushed me to come to Canada. It was just uh, right after the the draft, you know, you, you look to get picked up as a free agent. I was a projected fifth-round draft pick to the Packers, and so I figured that I would get picked up as a free agent. And some things happened in my agency right before the draft, so uh, the, a lot of that stuff fell through. And they called me with an opportunity to go back to Arkansas and, and play um, arena football for $200 a week and it was like that's a long fall from going to the NFL getting into training camp to going to play arena football for $200 a week but you know she was the one that inspired me to go and ultimately that's where I went and it was John Jenkins uh, where he was the head football coach the year before and uh, now he had became the new offensive coordinator for the Calgary Stampeders so 
um, I go to the workout and the rest is history. Yeah. So you came to the CFL. How how long did it take you to realize this is a legitimate league? Because some Americans come up here, your your story, like your story, they they have a dream of playing in the NFL. They don't have a dream of playing in the CFL. They don't even half of them don't even know where Canada is. Uh, and and you they come up here and they think they're too big for this league, and they find out in a hurry that they aren't too big for this league. How long before Nick Lewis started to respect what the CFL was? It was instantly. Um, for me, I was a Division II walk-on, so I didn't even see myself playing pro football. Uh, I remember people in college used to say, I can't wait to see you on Sunday after games. And I was like, man, I, you know, it would be nice. But you never, I never took hold of, of that. And so it was never really like a, a dream of mine. I mean, I had 12 teams off me a contract after one of my seasons in the CFL, and I stayed in the CFL. So... Um, I wouldn't say the NFL was really a dream of mine. Uh, it's something that when you do play sports, you kind of hope to get to the highest level. Uh, but just knowing how small of an opportunity that was for myself at that time. But, I, I mean, I realized real quick, I, I looked at the roster after I got the phone call from Matt Dunnigan, and I see Wayne McGarity. I'm a big Texas Longhorn fan. I see Albert Connell, my family's big A&M fan. I've seen what they had done in the um, in the NFL and at the college level, and and just seeing some of the names on other rosters, like a Jermaine Copeland and Kwame Caville, and and some of the others that I knew from college, and it was just like, this is pretty big, you know. And there's some there's some guys that are here that are were household names, mm-hmm. you know, even like a Michael Bishop and, and those other ones. So you just understand that real quick. You see the there's high-level guys playing in the CFL. So you were, you're uh, you're now a mentor for a lot of young athletes in Regina and across Western Canada. But when you got to the CFL, who took you under his wing and helped Nick Lewis in his journey early on in Calgary in the CFL? My, my first year, uh, I think it was a collective with Wayne McGarity, Salacio Sanford, and Albert Connell. Uh, me and Salacio were, were roommates. And Salacio had been the player of the year in NFL Europe. He had played in the NFL for the Chicago Bears. He had played arena football, and now he's in Canada. So he had traveled quite a bit, played this game for a long time. And so learning a lot about being a pro, uh, learning a lot about uh, just being around and how to practice, how to do things was great. But then my second year with, when Jermaine Copeland and Kenyon Rambo came in, you know, Jermaine Copeland was, is one of the best leaders um, I've ever encountered in life and is a big brother to me. And we were roommates on road trips and, and did everything. So uh, Jermaine was really the guy that, that really helped take my game to the next level mm-hmm. uh, from the way I seen the game, uh, the way that I just approached the game and I attacked the game. And, you know, when we when he came in, as I said, you know, you're Batman, I'm Robin. You know, I was, I was coming off a thousand yard season, and I probably didn't need to say it. He probably already knew it, but it, it allowed him to know that, hey, I'm I'm here to learn from you. And he told me, he said, man, you're part of the reason I came here, and I hmm. wanted to be uh, a part of your journey, man. I, I love watching you play. So, and you know, those were some of the best six years of my life, just being able to take the field week in and week out with him and, and Kenyon and and the rest of the group. Nick Lewis joining us here, former Stampeder, thorn in the side of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. How much did you like coming here to play at uh, old Taylor Field Mosaic Stadium? You know, I played my first game at Taylor yeah. Field. Um, got my first touchdown 
in, in that game. and Jumped on the goalpost, if I'm not mistaken, after you scored that touchdown. Well, I hit the goalpost and did the Ric Flair coming off of it. <laughs> so, you know, I've been doing the Ric Flair a long time, and I don't know if you know this or if put it two and two together, but my last game in Calgary, what I thought was going to be my last game of my career, coming out of the tunnel first, I did the Ric Flair. I did the same three steps with the woo. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a full circle moment, but um, I – Fortunately, I got to go to Montreal and play another couple, uh, three years. And, yeah. you know, my last game was in Mosaic Stadium. Yeah. Right. So understanding where it started, how it ended, and just being happy that I was able to play the game for 14 years. And, I mean, it, what an amazing ride to, to also understand what it's like to win championships at the highest level. Nick, if you could go back in time and play one more player, one more game in your Hall of Fame career, what would it be? Play one more play? One more player, one more game. If young Nick Lewis could be in that moment again. We all like to, we all like to, we're all nostalgic at some point in our life. You're a Hall of Fame guy. You just went through a flashback weekend. If you could play in one game or one play, could you rewind to one moment of your career? Oh, man. Um, I mean, there's so many. I'm, I'm kind of happy with the, the outcome of, of the way it went. I don't, I don't know if it's, if I could really just pick out, you know what? If I could replay one game, it'd be the 2010 West Final. Mm. Um, I think that when we played Sask and uh, the blizzard hit in the second half and, and everything happened, it was that was the most talented team I'd been a part of. And, you know, unfortunately, in football, unlike basketball, baseball, and other sports, it's the best of seven or the best of five. And in football, it's any day anyone can, can win a game and you know with the CFL rules anything can really happen and you've seen just this, this last week on Saturday Calgary comes back in 27-0 down uh, to come back and win the game so anything can happen on any day and that's what makes football playoffs so exciting mm-hmm. um, and you never know what to expect so but if I could go back and replay one game and yeah. I, I would only do it if we could assure ourselves that we have a chance to make it a different outcome. Because if we can't, then I never want to experience that again. It's <laughs> <laughs> minus 37 outside, so yeah, that's it what, was very cold. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Hey, Nick, I thought it was pretty appropriate, though, that uh, the the uh, Stampeders are getting their butts handed to them, but they find a way to win on, on a weekend that honors Nick Lewis. So what did you think of that game? That was quite a comeback. They were ready to throw dirt on Bo Levi's grave in the first half, and then they come back and he just throws for a 300-yard game hole hum and they win it you know in, in in the way they win you know um i was actually telling uh i was up there with i was sitting by will johnson and yep. uh some of the other guys daryl mookie mitchell was there and talking to hank and i was like you know calgary wins these types of games i said it's really crazy and this is 24 nothing i said calgary has a chance they'll probably come back and win this game <laughs> um, it's just something about your psychological when you get up like that that you Either you pull back a little bit or you stop pressing as much. Uh, you get a little lackadaisical. And when it was four minutes left in the game and they were going for it on third and one, I said, hey, this is a bad time to go for it on third down. It's like, punt the ball, play defense, because if you don't get this first down, it's a tie ball game. And fortunately, he fumbles. They tie the game up. So what a crazy game um, and a crazy way that it ended. And just – 
just understanding that's a, that's a part of the excitement of the CFL. Hey, as you watch the CFL now, Nick Lewis, I mean, you, you, you can't compare eras, but is there a guy you watch and you say, he plays like me? Is there a receiver right now that plays like Nick Lewis used to? You know, uh, at one point, when Jordan Williams Lambert first got in the, into the CFL, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of similarities. He went to the NFL, gained a little weight, and he didn't quite look the same when he came back. But there's a guy in Montreal. We share the same last name. And oh, yeah. That is, when I look back, especially early in my career, um, never was a speed demon. Gino's not a speed demon. Uh, but he can go make a play on the ball. Got great hands, runs really good routes, and, and just does things consistently. And he's a big play receiver that can run a lot of routes in the playbook and make the play. So I would say if anybody, um, it would be Gino. But, you know, it's just so hard to, to really put yeah. together what I was able to do from a blocking standpoint, um, from a after-the-catch standpoint. Um, really was the the special part uh, of my career. Yeah, no, for sure. And lastly, I want always wanted to ask you this: Who is your favorite quarterback, Nick Lewis, to play with? Kevin Glenn. Wow, why is that? The ultimate professional man. I called him the porcupine. He just looks unassuming, and but you know they're very dangerous. And for Kevin, he he could go out and throw an interception. And we were in BC through an interception on like the second play of the game. And then the rest of the game, he was spot on. There's other quarterbacks you play with and you encounter, they throw one, it turns into two or three or inconsistency. And Kevin's able to really put it together and and go out there and just be great. Uh, Anybody that can come out and put up over 50,000 yards, especially when you're, when they've always looked down on him for his height, his size, uh, he wasn't fast. He wasn't this. They said he didn't have the great arm strength. He didn't. Do, you told him everything that he couldn't do, but he went out and proved it week after week after week after week. It's it's truly amazing. And well, here's what know, I here's what I here's what I hear. We're short on time, but I want to get your comment on this because I've stuck up for Kevin Glenn. I said Kevin Glenn is a Hall of Famer, and I've had people. No, wait, wait, I've had people say nope, he's not a Hall of Famer because he never won. He wasn't a winner. So, you know, how do you respond to something like that? Well, I'll say this. 2007, I think it's pretty unanimous that Kevin Glenn wins a great cup if he doesn't break his arm uh, in the fourth quarter of the game there against Toronto. He They beat Sask. I mean, Sask barely won the game, and Ryan didn't when he threw five interceptions. Mm-hmm. Three to James Johnson. So if you get Kevin Glenn in that game, from the defense that Winnipeg had to the offense Winnipeg had, that's a total different ball game. And I think we know where that lines up. But at the end of the day, I always go back to defense wins championships. It's not it's not the quarterback. Um, the last two times the number one team, number one offense played the number one defense in the NFL Super Bowl, the number one defense won. Mm-hmm. And the number one defense will win majority of the time. So it's defense that wins wins games. It's not the quarterback. The quarterback gives you a great chance to win consistently, to get you over the hump or to make the game-winning drive. But it's really the defense that has to be solidified in order for you to have a chance to win. And I think that that's what you see in Winnipeg. I mean, Zach Claros is not the best player in the league. 
you can say that because they won, but I wouldn't put him as a top three quarterback in the league. But at the end of the day, that defense shows up. They don't give up points. They create turnovers, and it makes it easier for everybody on the team. This is Hall of Famer. Nick Lewis has a nice ring to it. Thanks, man. We'll have you on again in the future. Have a great day. Enjoy uh, what just happened to you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Y'all have a great one. Tell Ethan I said what's up. Yeah, okay, man, I will. That's Nick Lewis joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. 13,778 yards receiving and 71 touchdowns in his CFL career. 14 seasons. Uh, the majority of those, uh, 11 of them with the Calgary Stampeders and then the last three with the Montreal Alouettes. Nick Lewis, Canadian Football Hall of Famer. Heading to break on the other side, we'll have your Sports Cage Clutch performer. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. And a first and goal now from the six. Wide open. Schultz for the touchdown. Prescott with plenty of time. Fires. Touchdown. Caught. Leaping grab by Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz of the Dallas Cowboys with two touchdown grabs in Dallas's Thursday night win in Tennessee, 27-13 the final. Schultz finished the game with seven receptions for 56 yards to go along with those two touchdowns. And he's looking like a player in the slot for the Dallas Cowboys. It was a big win for Dallas as the NFC East is still up for grabs. Dalton Schultz. Uh, your Sports Cage Clutch Performer for Nick Service and Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator Gleaner, and Fent Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. And I'm looking outside right now. Yes, it's cold, you know, a bit windy. It's a bit slippery. It's winter time. I mean, it's December 30th, 2022. So do you know what we're going to do coming up next? We're going to turn the clock back and relive those summertime memories when you're at Curry Field, smelling the hot dogs, smelling the popcorn, and just get your mind in that summer spirit. That's what we're going to do coming up next as we hear from Braden Houston, a pitcher on the Regina Red Sox from Iowa City, Iowa. He sat down and chatted with Michael Ball earlier this year. That's coming up next on The Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage. Right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. It's 433 inside the Sports Cage. I'm Sean Kleisinger, currently watching the Holiday Sun Bowl. Very prestigious Holiday Sun Bowl. It's uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers taking on the UCLA Bruins. And uh, Pittsburgh is up 31-28. to With four minutes remaining in the fourth quarter because I know that you wanted to know the score in that game. That's why I had to give it to you. Very important football game, right? Uh, two very important college football games coming your way tomorrow, though. I mean, both college football playoff semifinals will take place. It's number three, TCU versus number two, Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. That game's at 3 p.m. tomorrow from State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, the home, of course, of the Arizona Cardinals. And then after that, 
Well, it's uh, number four, Ohio State. They're going to be taking on number one, Georgia, in the Peach Bowl at 7 p.m. And that game will take place, I believe, at uh, Mercedes, uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, the home of the Atlanta Falcons. And then, yes, the two winners of those two games will meet in the National Championship set to take place on Monday, January 9th. And kickoff is going to be at 6.30 p.m. Saskatchewan time for that one from SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. California. I used to throw uh, the football around on that field to our own Michael Ball. Yeah, I did that for about 20 minutes a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to take it to my grave. It was a very fun time, so uh, can't wait for that. Uh, yeah, of course, the Holiday Sun Bowl, not a very big bowl game, but those two games tomorrow are the ones to watch on the weekend. All right. Let's talk some baseball. I was I was saying before the break, let's get into uh, the summer state of mind here. And I think it's about that time. I'm looking outside, and I kid you not, I saw somebody slip on the corner of 12th and Rose uh, about five, seven minutes ago. I had to stand up out of my seat because, you know, you don't like to see people slip and go face first like that, but that's what I saw. But uh, the person got up, they dusted it off, and they went on with their day. That's what I like to see, a tough warrior. And this is a tough warrior on the mound, Brayden Houston of your Regina Red Sox from Iowa City, Iowa. He chatted with Michael Ball during the Red Sox season. But let's talk some Regina Red Sox baseball with their pitcher, Braden Houston, who was on the hill yesterday for that 16-4 victory. Was that a was that an easy game from your perspective as the pitcher, 16-4? No, I mean, I don't really think so. Going to the game, you got to have a good mentality going into it. But I would say having the offense get out early helps. They scored three in the first, took some pressure off, and I didn't do so well in the first. But after that, they kept adding, and I kept putting up zeros. Helped yeah. our team. Yeah, so... Um, on a day like this, let me ask you this. On a day like this, let's start with pitching. It's windy. How does that affect you from a pitching standpoint if you were on the hill today? Well, wind blowing in, I feel like it gives you a little bit of confidence. You know that you can get away with a little worse pitches. Mm-hmm. They can hit it really hard, really high, really far, but it might not go today. You know, hang up there a little longer. Yeah. While your outfit does get under it. But what about from your perspective? Because they say sometimes, like in football, for instance, mm-hmm. throwing into the wind is tough, but throwing with the wind is tough. Judging, you know, you're hitting a moving target with the receiver. It's different as a quarterback, but you're hitting a glove. You're trying to hit a spot. Does that affect you with the wind at your back? I've really never felt that effect with the wind at my back. I would say wind in your face, you feel a little off-speed and a little more movement late. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it's that much different with the wind at your back. You don't really feel... I mean, we're throwing a ball a little harder than a football, and it's a little closer than a receiver running. Yeah. So we don't have to take the trajectory and all that into play. We kind of just throw it like normal, hits a spot like normal. But when the wind's in your face or off-speed does, they'll dive a little more often. Before we get to know you a little better, Braden Houston, uh, just talk about your season from your perspective individually. How's it gone so far? It's gone well, I'd say. That was my fifth start yesterday. I've been doing really well this year. That was probably the worst start of the year, honestly. The stats have been good. Team's been good. Most times I go out there, our team fights behind me, and mm-hmm. it's been a good year so far. Yeah, do you know, like, the team real? Uh, that's kind of an interesting perspective. You know, quarterbacks taking it back to football. They know when the guys will go through a wall for them or give up their body for a quarterback. Kind of get that sense that guys are diving, making plays, and, and like you said, picking it up on offense for you, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's helpful. Whenever the offense can pick it up, it takes so much pressure off the pitcher. I mean, you can go out there and you can pitch with a lead. It's a lot more different. You don't have to be so fine with every pitch. You don't really need to throw that much more off speed. You can just go right at the hitter, make them try to hit. Because, I mean, baseball's hard. It's a failing sport. 
you're not going to get a hit every time. Put the pressure on the hitter instead of having the pressure on yourself. Yeah, it's amazing. If you get up as a batter and are like just over three out of ten successful, yeah. you're considered an all-star. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Unreal. It's it, the hardest it, sport out there. It is a very, it is a very uh, hard sport. What turned you on to pitching? I mean, I don't really know. The funny story, I mean, I was in junior college before. I went to my four-year, and I was a two-way there, and then I had some arm problems, so I had to take a little break, and the card just played into my hand where I was going to become a pitcher, and I was doing well at it, so I kept going with it. Always a starting pitcher, middle relief from the bullpen. It was always starting? I'm always, I've am always, i always been a reliever, actually. I mean, high school I started, but every year since then, I'm going into my last year of college, I've been a reliever. Okay. This is my first year starting, and I've just been starting here and summer ball. I threw a lot of like long relief in my last year of college. Okay, so just for the average baseball fan, what is long relief? Like how long would that be roughly? So I'd say long relief is like, say your starter gets in trouble early in their game, like third yeah. or fourth inning, yeah. you come in to bridge that gap from the third or fourth until the sixth or seventh. Right. Try to fill the gap so you get your setup guys and your other guys in there and then your closer. Generally, like you went six yesterday, right? Yeah. You could have gone seven, but I mean, you had yeah. an explosion to run, so might as well save your arm. Generally, what are your, what's your mentality? I mean, hey, if it's a perfect game, you're going to keep going, yeah. but, but is it generally you're looking for a good solid six, seven innings? Yeah, I'd say seven innings is where I want to be every time. It means I'm being efficient enough to get through seven without getting pulled. My pitch counts at a good level. But, I mean, I, I feel like I can usually go eight if I really want to put the pedal to the metal. Like, against Okotoks, in my mind, I was ready to go eight if we really needed to. But we had it set up well where we had the good matchups with our bullpen. We trusted our yeah. guys, and it played out. I'd say pitch count, I like to just be around 100. If I get 100 pitches, that's yeah. probably time to bring it down. What's your money pitch? Change up. Change up? For sure, yeah. And how long did it take you to – I don't even know if you ever really mastered the pitch, but – how long did it take you to feel comfortable with the pitch, maybe is the best way to put it? Probably, I mean, I was relatively comfortable with it in high school, but it was not not something I would go to all the time. It probably took three years in college to finally feel fully comfortable with it, and I'm still working on it. Like, it's one of those pitches that changes every uh, every year. Yeah, boy, we're, uh, yeah, the wind's blowing here. Sorry, folks, we're trying to do the best we can. Um, what makes for a good changeup? Is it this? Is it a setup pitch before that? What it, what makes for a good changeup? I would say keeping your arm speed the same and making it look like a fastball as long as you can. If you can look like a fastball for 55 feet, the last five feet it's gonna be impossible to hit because it's gonna just drop off the table. So having that same spin out of your hand and making it look just like your fastball, I'd say the pitch mix doesn't really matter as long as it looks like your other pitches. You know, it's a very intricate sport. Like from a pitcher standpoint, you just described that. From a batter standpoint, I mean, a lot of it is. It, it's guessing. A lot yeah. of it is guessing. You got to guess sometimes. Hey, it's he's going with this, and I'm swinging based on what I'm guessing, right? Yeah. I mean, as a as a hitter, I would go up there thinking probably, what's the probability that he's going to throw this? Like it's a one-two count. He's got his best pitch is a changeup. It's probably going to be a changeup. I'd be thinking, wouldn't be surprised if I see that, but be ready to foul everything off. But probably thinking changeup type yeah. thing. So this this team is a young team. You got some mm -hmm. guys in the the, the 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 roster. I think everybody's here now, or they're just on the verge of coming here. So are, are you feeling like you guys are hitting your stride? now and you're you're starting to figure it out now as the Regina Red Sox? I definitely think we're creating more of an identity now. Yeah. In the beginning, we are having a hard time. We are just a lot of moving pieces, didn't really know what our lineup was going to be. We have, we have all the talent in the world to be very, very good. Yeah. But I think there was a few times where we just... We weren't right, in, right, right in this, not in the right spot yeah. for success. Sometimes we had a guy show up. Sometimes we wouldn't have a guy show up in a game. But now it feels like everyone's starting to hit. Bach had a great game. He's one of our best hitters. 
yesterday had a great game, and if we can get everyone back to having good games consistently, there's I don't think there's a team that can really stop us. From Iowa City, Iowa. Yes, sir. Your first time in Regina. Mm-hmm. Does that have the same kind of feel? Yeah, just as flat, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> How do you find the people? Everybody says the people here are nice. They, they're honestly almost the exact same as the Midwest. I'd say everyone here is extremely nice, very outgoing, and they'll always take you in if you have a conversation. How did you find? How did you find your way here? How did you make it here? My assistant coach at my four-year played here for the Regina Red Sox a while a while back, and he said he enjoyed it, and he recommended it to two of my teammates who were also here. Oh, awesome. Do you guys all live together? How does that work? How's your living arrangement work? I live with Andy Cook, and then Max LaCroix is my other teammate, and he lives on his own with a different billet. Oh, nice. And uh, who are your billets here? Tracy and Diana. Oh, good. And yeah. uh, they're pretty good. Pretty yeah. good setup there? Great people, yeah. It's awesome, man. Um, Iowa City, Iowa. You ever been to the Field of Dreams location? What's that like? What's that like? It's a beautiful thing. I mean, obviously you get there and it's it's a little small field. It's nothing crazy, but it's it's. I mean, if you've seen the movie, it's it's awesome comparing that to that and just knowing what's went down there and what's really happened in real life there. It's yeah. awesome. I mean, the field with the corn all and the outfield, it's gorgeous. And they have a little gift shop right next to it. You can get some souvenirs, but it's it's awesome. You right in the middle of a cornfield. You got a big family. Not really, not really, no. No? No? Do your, do your parents, are, uh, do they follow you around to watch play college ball or anything like that? Yeah? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've watched every game I played. That's did for they, sure. Can they stream the games here? Yeah, they yes. stream them here. Oh, they good. watch them, too. Good. Awesome, man. Um, and where do you go to college? I go to Lenore on University in North Carolina. Okay, and what are you taking? Exercise science. Okay. Okay, major. awesome. And so, back to baseball. Mm-hmm. Was that, that all your always your first love, baseball? I'd say my first love was actually soccer. That was that was a sport I loved at first, yeah, for sure. Why didn't you pursue that? Why'd you pursue baseball? I had really bad knees. I just my knees would give out on me and had few issues with them and then running became harder and harder and stopped doing that, focused on baseball and not as much running as baseball, as you know. You got you got big legs I could see. How important this is might sound like a dumb question. Uh, some people say I'm a dumb guy. Uh, how important are your legs for pitching? You don't have to run like a soccer yeah. player, but I mean that's that's the base of of your pitching, right? You're, you always got to have strong legs in any sport you play. Yeah, I'd say most of the power from comes from your legs. Like my JUCO coach used to say, legs feed the wolves. Like the more you have, the stronger legs you have, the more you use them, the less your arm will have to work, and then you can just power down the mound. Yeah. So, uh, is there a particular pitcher or ball player you like watching when you're watching Major League Baseball? Uh, I don't watch a lot anymore just because I don't have much time between baseball and school and all that, and then. Mm-hmm. Not having cable in college, you kind of just see highlights and all that. But when I was growing up, I would watch a lot of pitching. Like I used to watch Carlos Zambrano just because he's a Cubs pitcher. But yeah. my idol is definitely Greg Maddox. I loved watching his highlights and everything. My dad would talk about it all the time. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, man. he was nasty. Greg, man, he was awesome, man. Uh, I don't. He did, the one guy he had a trouble striking out was my favorite player, Tony Gwynn, who is that's why I was a San Diego Padres yeah. fan. And you're a Cubs guy. What turned you on to the Cubs? Just uh, proximity, or what? What? What turned you on to the Cubs? They are close to Iowa, but my dad grew up in Chicago, so I like every Chicago team. Like, like hockey, football, everything. Yeah, Blackhawks for hockey, Bears for football, Bulls, Bulls for basketball. So yeah. is Jordan your guy? Well, I mean, I was too young. I for know, George, but but, yeah. but I mean, Jordan's the guy, yeah. right? If we're going Jordan versus LeBron, I'm taking Jordan. Who's your favorite athlete? Like you don't watch a lot of uh, you don't watch a lot of sports because you're busy and everything. But yeah. who's your who's your favorite athlete right now? Is there a favorite athlete in any sport favorite that you watch? Athlete. That's a tough question. 
I mean, I love watching Shohei because he does it both, and that's just that's that an crazy? awesome thing to see. I mean, even seeing his highlights, it's just ridiculous what he's able to do. You know, I picked Manny Machado. I bet 50 bucks at the start of the year before there was one pitch. I picked Manny Machado to be the NL MVP, mm-hmm. and he was rolling. Then he twists his ankle on first mm-hmm. base, and now my bet's probably screwed. <laughs> I love Machado. I love Tatis. There's so many great young baseball players for yeah. sure, man. Well, uh, hey, I'll let you get to eating the rest of your meal, and uh, thanks for uh, guessing with me, Brayden. I yeah, appreciate it, Yeah, of course. Thanks for having Thank me. Brayden Houston. Awesome. Of the Regina Red Sox from Iowa City, Iowa. Yes, sir. There you have it. Braden Houston of the Regina Red Sox joining Michael Ball at Curry Field earlier on uh, this year. We're going to hit the break, have a sports ticker for you up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620. Tires. Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking Riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. We will be talking Riders in just a few short moments as we uh, chat with Gerald Lacoste, the Riders team chaplain. After our sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed, they'll treat you right. 781-2090. Regina Pats are in Prince Albert tonight. Pats are coming off a 4 to nothing loss at home to Brandon on Wednesday night. Puck drop short after 7 o'clock right here on 620 CKRM. I'm watching Pittsburgh, UCLA, and it's not the Holiday Sun Bowl like I said. Pardon me, it's not the Holiday Sun Bowl. It's actually called Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. So my mistake, my bad. Hey, I didn't think a bowl game would be called Tony the Tiger Bowl. So that's my fault for not knowing that. Tony the Tiger Bowl. Are you kidding me? All right, we got time for one more conversation before we break for the news. Like I said, this is the Riders team chaplain, Jared Lacoste, who chatted with Michael Ball earlier on this year. Are you a big sports movie guy, Jared? Yeah, I am, yeah. I think uh, probably have to go with uh, classic, like Remember the Titans, I think. Ah, very inspirational. Of course you would. You're the chaplain. How many years now the chaplain of the team? Uh, this is, I'm coming into my seventh year with the club. Now, it's a paid gig, but it's only a paid gig because you raise your own funds. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not a paid employee of the team. Uh, I work for an organization called Athletes in Action, mm-hmm. and uh, we provide uh, chaplaincy to sports teams across the country. And um, globally, we have uh, Athletes in Action representation in over 60 different countries using sport as a platform to impact people's lives. So I do the majority of uh, majority of my wage comes from the, the dollars that I go out and, and raise on behalf of the job that I'm doing. So it's kind of a, a unique position, but uh, it's a position that I felt really passionate and called to, oh, so for sure. it makes it a little bit easier. So to, uh, are, are you a door-knocking guy, or do you put on, like, steak nights? Like, how do you raise the money, and how can we help you uh, raise some money for you? Because it's not just your wages. It goes into learning material and counseling material for the players, too. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just through personal relationships. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of things where I just... Uh, I wouldn't say door knocking as much anymore as uh, picking up the phone and, and mm-hmm. calling people and kind of exhausting your list of contacts and then hoping that maybe someone else will put you on to someone else as well to kind of network your way through things. But uh, each year we try and uh, we try and do some sort of fundraiser in order to help offset some of the costs because, I mean, a lot of it does come uh, yeah out of my pocket in some context, but I know for the most part, like, 
these guys, a, a number of them that I work with are, are always looking to grow. And so whether that's putting a, a new book in their hand or whether that's uh, getting myself certified in different areas to be able to kind of help, uh, yeah, a need that's being, uh, being met here within the team. So it kind of, a little bit fluid kind of functions a little bit differently and kind of a need by need basis. But at the end of the day, like I said, it, it's about uh, seeing people's lives and, and hearts transform. So uh, like I said, I think it, it kind of, it comes with the territory of what I do, but at the same time, it is a, it is a big element that comes into allowing myself to be here full time and supporting these staff and players. This is Jared Lacoste, a seven-year chaplain now of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. What did uh, what did your job, as it relates to the Rough Riders, look like during the pandemic? Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of staring at a screen. <laughs> I think that's kind of been the case for most people, but. Uh, yeah, throughout it, it was uh, it was the reality for a lot of guys that um, everything that they've known throughout their entire life was was not there. Um, with the the sports kind of coming to a kind to a standstill, and then also kind of trying to figure out uh, kind of that identity piece outside of who they are as an athlete, and a lot of a lot of days of on the phone or on a Zoom call or or trying to to you know, kind of still be present in guys' lives, even though it couldn't be shoulder to shoulder was, uh, was a challenge. But at the same time, I'm, I'm grateful for the technology that we do have that does allow mm. myself and others to, to still have an opportunity to connect and to be a part of people's lives, even, yeah, even when they're not right here so, in Regina or even when they're not right here in the stadium. So you do put on like, uh, like a, di- like a, a game day, you put on a chapel. So for instance, let's say it's uh let's just take the road game. Do you go with the team on the road by the way? Or is it just home based? Uh, just home based. Uh, something unique. We, we actually are responsible for doing the away teams chapel in the morning as well. So each CFL team has someone in oh, the nice. position that I'm in. Okay. And so, uh, kind of part of our job within our own organization is to kind of take care of the other team when they come to town as well. So, uh, I don't travel right now. Uh, I have the opportunity to go on a trip here every now and then, but, uh, for the most part, uh, I stay back here and, and kind of watch, hmm. watch as a fan, I guess, by myself in my basement, kind of. Yeah. So, typic- so typically, Jared, um, is, uh, what do we have? We had a five o'clock kickoff. So what is a, just walk us through. We've never been there. I've been in team sports. I've gone to a chapel, but what's yeah. it, what's it like? So when do you have it? And, and it's open to anybody. Do you get pretty good turnout? Yeah, so I think uh, I try and get to to get to the stadium a little bit early, and uh, each guy kind of has their own routine. And over the course of my time here, I've been able to figure out uh, where I can kind of fit into some guys' routines, uh, even if they can't come to chapel. But at about two and a half hours before kickoff uh, is when our when our chapel takes place. It's uh, yeah, like I said, it's an open invitation to whoever wants to join, and and realistically, it's. It's about a 15-minute discussion, kind of, there's some scripture, there's usually a story, an analogy, how to apply it to life, and then uh, out the door I go. It's a pretty it's a pretty quick 15 minutes, but at the same time, uh, yeah, so a lot of these guys, it's kind of that last bit of uh, calmness or last little bit of just, you know, taking it easy before they flip that switch and, and head towards the, the start of the game, and so... Turnout varies uh, based on the week, but 
like I said, I think consistency is big in what I do. And mm. so each year I, I tend to get more and more and more players uh, attending. Yeah, so, which I so, think is just a matter of trust and, and building those relationships. So, Jared, it's more than religion. Like, it's more than religion. It has a counseling or a friendship aspect to it, I'm I'm assuming. So, like, say five guys go down in 20 minutes before training camp with Achilles. And, you know, I think of, I'm not saying Larry Dean went, but I'm thinking of, like, a Larry Dean, 33 years old, hurts himself. You know, mental health is such a big aspect now in the world of sports and life in general. So I would think your, your role takes even on added value. You probably have guys coming to you like I, for instance, there's no secret. Nick Marshall's brother dies, gets shot. Like it's those type of things that you probably have to deal with uh, behind the scenes that people don't realize. We see them put on their helmets, run around. They're kind of robotic that way. You cheer for them. You pay your 90 bucks or whatever it is, eat your hot dog. But those are people inside those uniforms. Yeah. I think that's the one thing I, I think we often forget about is that, uh, they're not exempt from the same things that you and I would deal with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, life gets in the way, you know, and for, you know, that three and a half hours or whatever it is, they kind of have to, to leave all that and, and go out and perform essentially. And so uh, relationship, that's, that's where I hang my hat. Uh, I love the, the one-to-one relationship building with people. I think that in that setting is where most most things get accomplished. Uh, I love when we gather together as a group, but realistically, uh, it's some of those things that get in the way, those, those life situations that come up that, uh, that tend to occupy the majority of my role, mm-hmm. which, which I'm okay with because I think you and I and anyone that goes through life, we, if something's going on, we want to have someone there to walk alongside us. And players are up here without their support systems in place and so um i and a number of other people can kind of fill in and and sit in that space and and be uh you know an ear to hear you know a shoulder to kind of lean on uh in a tough time and so it is more about life than than anything at the end of the day i i do yeah i i do come from a place of spiritual background but at the same time most of these guys know that um the main thing that they're going to get from me as someone who's going to love them and serve them and, and try and do whatever I can to, to help meet the need that's present. And if I can't, that means passing them on to someone who can, but mm. that's awesome, man. Well, uh, Jared Lacoste in, in charge of a big part of the rough riders success in terms of their mental well being. It's just not physical. It's mental as well. There's Michael Ball with the team chaplain for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Jared Lacoste, on the Western Pizza Hotline. And that wraps up Hour 1. We're going to hear from the commissioner of the Canadian Football League right after uh, the new CBA was announced back in May, it was. And that's going to come up at 5.05. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620. Go on now. I love the smell of pump in the morning. This is where the fun begins. Six twenty CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Roughriders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host Michael Ball. Yeah, this is Sean Kleisinger in for Michael Ball for one more day, and this is the last Sports Cage of twenty twenty two. I'm gonna shed a tear. Who am I kidding? It wasn't a very good year for like sports for, well, at least for our Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It was a good year 
although it ended bad for the Regina Thunder. It was a good regular season for the U of R Rams. Lost in the first round of the playoffs. What else? Uh, Pats are looking pretty good right now. Uh, the Regina Red Sox, you know, that was a bit of a letdown in the playoffs. I'm getting off on a tangent here. Uh, we're here for Nelson Homes today, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. I was watching the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, and uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers defeated the UCLA Bruins on a uh, last-second field goal. Well, with uh, four seconds remaining in the fourth quarter, Pittsburgh... Uh, put the field goal through so uh hey they won the tony the tiger bowl congratulations to our friends uh down at the university of pittsburgh that's where uh larry fitzgerald went comes to mind right away because he was on the cover of ncaa football 2005 for the playstation 2 well uh let's go through some uh, news and notes before we get into our conversation with uh cfl commissioner randy ambrosi so of course Connor bedard scored two goals in Canada's, what was that, 11 to nothing win over Austria Thursday night. Uh, so he matched Jordan Eberle's Canadian record for goals at the World Junior Championship with 14. So uh, next up for Canada is Sweden on New Year's Eve to conclude round-robin play. So the top four teams from each group, they advance to the quarterfinals where the matchups uh, are then determined by seeding. So, for example, uh, they will cross over between groups for these games. So first place in Group A will take on fourth place in Group B, so on so forth. So uh, the winners of the semifinals, obviously, will play in the gold medal game, and the losers will play for bronze. And the, the two fifth-place teams, this is kind of forgot about sometimes, but I kind of like this. It reminds me of, uh, like, European soccer, kind of. The two fifth-place teams will play a best-of-three to determine who returns to the World Junior Championship next year with the loser being relegated completely. So uh, that's something to, to watch for as well. We got some junior hockey in our own province tonight. The Regina Pats are in Prince Albert taking on those uh, Prince Albert Raiders. Pats are coming off a tough one at home to the Brandon Wheat Kings on Wednesday night. That was 4 to nothing was the final in favor of the Wheaties. There's four games in the NHL tonight. The Edmonton Oilers are in Seattle to meet the Kraken. Carolina hosts Florida, New Jersey is in uh, Pittsburgh and Anaheim welcomes the Nashville Predators to the Honda Center and uh, some uh, other NHL news Devontae Smith-Pelly 2018 Stanley Cup champion with the Capitals has announced his retirement from professional hockey at the age of 30 so a young guy but uh, he called it a career and I can't really blame him he won his Stanley Cup he can put his ring on his uh, nightstand at the end of the day and be proud of himself so uh Congrats to him on his nice career. And how about uh, a nice contract? Saudi Arabian soccer club, Al Nassar, closing in on a deal to sign uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, The Portuguese international will reportedly put pen to paper on a contract through June 2025 worth almost, no, plug your ears if you don't want to hear this, 200 million euro per year. 200 million euro per year to play soccer in Saudi Arabia. Uh, last time I checked, Cristiano Ronaldo couldn't even crack the starting lineup for Portugal in one of their World Cup games. And what happens? Well, a few few weeks later, let's give that guy 200 million euro. Yeah, let's do it. 
Sounds good. That's just uh, bonkers, in my opinion. Uh, having qualified for their first FIFA World Cup, speaking of the World Cup, in 36 years, uh, the Canadian men's soccer team has been named the Canadian Press Team of the Year for 2022. So, uh, hey, if you lose all three of your, uh, all three of your games in the World Cup, that, that's good enough to win you an award. Just lose all your games. Just lose, and then you'll win an award at the end of the year. So keep that in mind for 2023. Obviously, my tongue is in cheek. I'm kidding, but, uh, you know, still still not having a great taste in my mouth because Canada lost all three games in the group stage at the World Cup. First to Belgium, and then, what was it, Croatia, and then uh, Morocco, right? Morocco was the last one. See, I, I've made a point to just forget about the tournament as a whole. I already forgot who they played. And one last story before we get into uh, Randy Ambrosi chatting with Michael Ball and Luke Mullinder. Uh Buccaneers backup quarterback, Blaine Gabbert. He assisted in a helicopter crash rescue involving four people Thursday evening in Tampa, according to uh, Tampa police. So this is what happened. Just after 5 p.m., a helicopter carrying a pilot and three passengers, uh, they crashed upon approaching Peter O'Knight Airport, police said. And the passengers and pilots said that after hearing a loud bang, the aircraft lost power, sending them into the water near Davis Island's Yacht Club. And then two jet skis arrived within minutes, just like a couple superheroes just came bursting through the waves. And then, uh, you know, one of the drivers was, hey, Blaine Gabbert, who helped bring the family to land. And uh, the two men on the other jet skis were Gabbert's brothers, a source told ESPN. So uh, the pilot and all three passengers made it out safely. And uh, local agencies are working to remove the aircraft from the water. So uh, that's very good news that those people are safe. And Blaine Gabbert, since he cannot be a hero on the field, he is a hero off the field. And in this case, that matters way more than uh, winning Super Bowls because... The dude's saving lives. Hey, pour one out for Blaine Gabbert here on this uh, Friday on the Sports Cage. All right, enough of Zinger yapping. Let's talk some CFL football. It was kind of getting a bit hairy there in May and entering June. You know, the CBA wasn't signed yet, and we're kind of thinking to ourselves, oh, man, we just went through, you know, a season a couple years ago with out any football. There's no possible way we could do this again not having CFL football, right? Well, that's what CFL fans were thinking, you know? We were approaching June on the calendar and we were kind of looking at each other being like, you know, is this league going to figure it out or what? You know, we want to watch some Saskatchewan Rough Rider football here. Well, it ended up happening, of course. Wasn't great Saskatchewan Rough Rider football, but nonetheless, we got the season in and uh, right after the new CBA was signed, the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, Randy Ambrosi, joined Michael Ball uh, as Ballsy and Luke were up at Riders Training Camp in Saskatoon. Here's that conversation. We're pleased to be joined by the commissioner of the Canadian Football League on the Western Pizza Hotline. That would be Randy Ambrosi. How are you today, Randy? I'm doing very well. Hey, listen, you guys got to... I ordered that double pepperoni about uh, 40 minutes ago. Is it... uh set to be delivered 
Yeah, well, I don't know, man. I, I get. I can guarantee you, it won't be there in thirty minutes or less. We're not gonna. We're, Luke, and it might. And 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 Randy, it might be half eaten because Luke's here in the booth. Yeah, and actually, Kamish, uh, they, we, we've got a negotiation between the delivery guy and uh, and us right now on how to ascend, ascend the stairs. You, I'm sure you're used to something like that right about now. Luke, I, I do. I do feel like you're a bit of a you're a bit of a barrier to my getting a pizza. So we're, next time we're together, we're gonna have to talk about that. Sounds good. Yeah. When you when you come into town next time, I'll buy a pizza. We'll sit down and uh, have a have a cold one too. Okay, uh, Commissioner, got some questions. Some I've uh, I've accumulated from the fans over the last little bit, and you you've always been uh, game to sit in and take questions. So I'm gonna ask them to you. But first off, I guess, Randy, what's the most What's what what most is the league happy about in this deal that was just ratified yesterday? Yeah, I, I think it is about uh, the creation of a framework that allows us to change the nature of our relationship with our players, and you know, one that say in the past was more transactional, and uh, this one is a framework for a partnership. Uh, you know, I think when you look at the revenue sharing uh, a model that's inside this deal now, that means that the players in the league are aligned. We both want to see the, we want to see revenues grow because that's how we both win. That's a really positive step. Inviting the players to join our CFL Ventures board, that's a really important step because it's, it's more than symbolic. It says that we want the players to be part of the league's future uh, uh, success on and off the field. And I think that's really important. I think just generally I'm thrilled that so many of the things that we knew were important going in got dealt with. And I think you got to, you know, you got to start by tipping your hat to both the CFLPA bargaining committee and the CFL bargaining committee and say, they, we wanted them to build a framework for, for a found and a, a, that would give us a foundation for a relationship I think they've done that and then some, and I'm, and I'm awfully excited about that. Okay, Mr. Commissioner, what, what is the purpose behind the naturalization of Americans? I, I get the one for sure, like seven and then the eighth one. But what's the purpose of, you know, two additional ones in 2023 and then, if you like it, a third one in 2024? Can you just take us behind the scenes? What's the pur- yeah. What is the ideal purpose yeah. of this? Yeah, it, look, it was really in the end. I'm going to go back in history. Two of the greatest players, in my opinion, two of the greatest players ever to play in our league, Ron Lancaster and Angela Mosca, played as naturalized, nationalized uh, Canadians. And, and it was an idea then. It was about rewarding the Americans who came here that, that played and were part of our communities. Look, we've heard so many CFL fans tell us they want to see more roster continuity so this really, this really incents the, the players to want to come and stay and play and be part of our great league and stay with one team. And then when you add that to an opportunity for some guaranteed contract money, that was another important part of it. It was really about, it was really about two things. It was about creating uh, a healthy environment for competition and making sure we gave our coaches some roster flexibility and it was about making sure that we found a way to reward those players that come and, and make our communities home and really, and really stay with them. Because again, I heard, I heard over and over again fans just saying they were frustrated with the, the level of turnover. So it's, it's, it's about continuity. It's about rewarding people for coming here and making our league and our communities better. And I think we accomplished a lot 
with that um, with that change. Okay, Randy, I, I get that, but I want to ask you this. You played in the Canadian Football League as a very accomplished offensive lineman, as a good Canadian offensive lineman, and who knows, maybe you would have been talented to make it without the ratio. But I, I would I would suggest you played in this league because of the ratio. Is there any concern on your behalf or on anybody from the league's behalf that of American coaching bias. I mean, it doesn't matter how good Randy Ambrosi is. It doesn't matter how good Canadian Luke Molitor is. If eventually we start to, to, to see a drop in Canadians and we see more Americans, which I love Americans, don't get me wrong. I'm a George fan. Talk to him all the time. Ron Linecaster, big fan. But if we got to protect our own. I have a son that lives in the United States now, going to North Dakota, playing for the UND Fighting Hawks. The difference between... And no disrespect to you, sports, but the difference between the money that goes into those schools and what they get and up here is apples and oranges. Do we not have to do everything we can to keep our kids' dreams alive and give them a chance to have the most opportunity to play professional football in the Canadian Football League? Because that's what I hear from coaches and players at the grassroots level. Yeah, no, listen, and I, and, I, and I don't disagree with your summary, but I'll say this. Look, we protected 21 roster spots, and I think the first thing you've got to do is you've got to give our, you've got to give our Canadian kids a chance to be on our CFL rosters because that's when you get to participate at that higher level of competition, and when you are good enough, you're, you're going to rise to that level. Look, in the end, again, I go back to what did the market research tell us. We did, we did the most extensive market research study, I believe, in the league's history. And it said the next generation of fans, and, and remind, remembering that all CFL fans that love our game say the same thing, why, why aren't you out there um, you know, building a, a new fan base? Why aren't you getting people as excited about the game as we are? And what we heard from them is that they want competition and excellence. Look, the fact is that the world is changing. The, the Canadian... Canada is changing. The what the the people's access to to entertainment is changing. Look, I don't know about you, but we're we're all streaming. The, the way we the way we consume entertainment, we are no longer confined to a national um, national uh, entertainment. We're now talking global, international entertainment. This is an opportunity. Absolutely, we had to protect Canadians' ability to be on our rosters. And now I believe that our Canadians are more than capable. Let's just, let's look around the world of sports guys. I mean, last night, uh, the winning goal in the Calgary Edmonton game was scored by who? A Canadian. Canadians are, there's no protection for Canadians in hockey. And yet Canadians excel year in and year out. We're seeing the most number of Canadians playing in the NBA today. There's never been more Canadians in the NBA than there is now. There's never been more Canadians in Major League Baseball than there is now. There's 24 kids that, that were on NFL rosters last year, the, the most in history. Canadian kids are good athletes. They compete on the world stage on behalf of Canada in, in the Olympics. Guys, we have to have more faith. We have to have more confidence in our Canadian athletes. And okay, so maybe it's going to be a little harder to be a starter. But you know what? Our Canadian athletes will rise to the challenge. I am more convinced now than ever that our Canadian athletes are the best. This is the best generation of Canadian athletes we've ever seen. They only continue to get better. 
We, we, we are simply asking that they compete, and I know they're up to the challenge. And then, frankly, you don't have to live with the question of whether you were good enough or whether you were only there because there was an artificial rule in place. Look, you don't think that a guy like me wonders from time to time whether the reason I had a nine-year career and I, and, I, and I would call it a success, you don't think from time to time I wonder, I wonder, was, it, was I good enough? I think, again, I think this generation of Canadian athletes are more than capable of competing. And we see it in every sport, and we see it in in football. And I could take you through the longest list of Canadians. And I'll just, you know, start with with in in Saskatchewan. Start with Roger Aldig. Start with Ray Ray Elgard. I could go on and on for Canadians who have excelled massively. Look at your look at your ring of honor. I could I could go on and on about Canadians who have more than proven that they have a place not just in our game but as stars in our game. I think we have to be less afraid to ask our Canadian athletes to compete because time in and out they prove that they are more than capable of not just competing but 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 to be stars in our game. Okay, well I'll I'll uh, I'll. Uh... I'll take a wait-and-see approach on that. I'm not saying that you're not right in terms of uh, the great athletes that are that are around. I just I just worry that a Randy Ambrosi, a Glenn Suter, a Roger Aldag, a Ray Elgard, a Jason Claremont, a Dan Clark might slip through the cracks eventually because American coaches, Canadian coaches, any coach just gravitates to what they know. So if they're not mandated, for lack of a better word, to, to look at, uh, finding, a, for instance, a Brett Jones. If you're not mandated to find a Brett Jones, then he doesn't get onto the Calgary Stampeders roster. He doesn't get to show his stuff. He doesn't get to go to the NFL, make millions, and give back to Weyburn. So that's where my concern and is. Guys, like, and, and, I, and I agree, but remember, and I think it's so foundational, we've protected 21 roster spots mm-hmm. for Canadians. Okay, we got we, we got two more quick questions, Randy, before we let you go. I'm going to let Luke sure. ask you this one, uh, Kamish, because it ties into what you were saying. He wants to go with a macro versus micro, so just we'll turn it over to Luke here. Yeah, uh, Commissioner Ambrosi, you know, one of the things that I look at, and uh, I've talked to a couple people, in fact, is about, you know, the macro picture and sustainability, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, about how sort of the uh, the ratio discussion, but more importantly, just the way, you know, things have panned out with this new CBA, how it uh, facilitates expansion in this league, and, and maybe, you know, is, there, is, this, is this agreement designed to also afford the capacity to expand competitively and, and not have a a new team just get get smashed all 18 games of the year yeah well i just say more broadly uh, and thanks for the question luke i think more broadly this relationship with the players this seven-year deal with the players is part of a whole package of uh of of changes that we've made that are going to help us uh, look i take the genius partnership and and i'd call it transformational i think this arrangement with our players is transformational and then we've got a revenue sharing formula for the first time in 40 years, and it's going to help raise the the raise and, and support all of our team. I think it's transformational. That's going to help us attract owners. That's going to make our league more attractive as we think about our future. Uh, owning a CFL team, being part of a CFL team, being part of this CFL, I think is going to be more exciting. That's going to help us achieve expansion. Look, we, we, we're, we're, we're committed, and I'd say without 
equivocation, we are very committed to our 10th team. We, we know a 10th team really solves a lot of the fundamental problems we've got. Nine teams is hard. Ten teams will make it better from a scheduling point of view alone. And then when we get there, we, we have to think about how we help those teams to be competitive. And we'll look at how other sports have expanded. We'll, we'll look, for example, at what the NHL did when they brought in, when they brought in Las Vegas. Just one example. How do you help those teams to be competitive? How do we create more jobs for great athletes, more great jobs, jobs for great Canadian athletes, American athletes, and global athletes? Look, I, I think we're at the beginning of a new beginning. I think we, with the players' help, we have created a new foundation for long-term sustainable excellence. I'm just going to say it all over and over, guys. I, I, I am not afraid of our Canadian athletes, that, that our Canadian athletes can't compete. I watch, I watch Canadian athletes in every sport. I'm a sports I'm a sports fan of every sport, and I say Canadian athletes over and over again prove their ability uh, we have now created a foundation for long-term sustainable success. And again, it goes back to one thing. If we're going to grow our fan base, we know that this generation, the next generation of fans want competition and they want excellence. I think this arrangement with the players sets us up to meet that challenge. Last question, uh, Commissioner. We really thank you for your time. Um, we got a whole year to figure this out because this doesn't get going until 2023 in terms of the, the ratio massaging. Um, the 49 percent, uh, you, you guys are putting your heads together to figure out how you're going to monitor this because, I mean, it's not like we know each game, right? You know, Randy, it's not like we know in a game there's exactly 100 snaps so we can monitor it. So how are we doing that? And is that something I was thinking about this? Maybe I'm way off base. Is that something the genius sports marketing can help you do? Is there some sort of technology? Is there some sort of, like, you know, in the NHL, you watch Connor McDavid, they could show that he skated to 25 kilometers an hour. Can we have some sort of tracking thing like in a helmet that this guy's been 49 snaps? You know what I mean? It just seems like it might be tough to, to monitor this. Yeah, no, and, and you know, look, again, great question, and uh, thanks for asking it, Michael. I, look, I, I think we, uh, we will figure out a system. We've already talked that uh, the possibility is that some of the genius technologies may help us Look, by the time we get to the implementing this in 23, we will have figured it out. We'll have a system. We'll have technologies. Or, boy, we're going to have a lot of guys with clipboards who are going to have to uh, have to count. But we'll have it all figured out. And, again, this was about rewarding American players uh, for longevity. It was about creating roster stability. It protected uh, – this deal protects uh, uh, 21 Canadian jobs. There's still lots of room for Canadian starters. It's going to, it is going to ask that people compete, but competition in sports is exactly what sports is there for. And I think that our Canadians uh, will more than rise to that challenge. And again, all I can say is I think we're at the beginning of an exciting new era for our league. And, um, and I'm so proud of what the CFLPA's bargaining committee and the CFL bargaining committee did here because they, they rose to the, they rose to the challenge of creating a framework for our long-term success together. So that's, um, that's, that's an exciting outcome.
Hey, uh, Luke's begged me to ask you one more, so he's going to ask you the question, and then I'll let you go, because we don't get you too much, and there's preseason football to watch, thank God. So, Luke, here's the last question. Go ahead. Yeah, Commissioner, you know, one of the things that, uh, and again, I think that it takes the focus off sort of the micro, hey, you know, where are the Canadians um, issue, right, that, that a lot of people are going to ask. Um, has the league ever considered, because we were talking to, to the TSN guys about this, has the league ever considered redistributing the ratio, um, you know, saying, hey, look, Look, you know what? You can have five Canadians on the offensive line, but only two of them count uh, um, against the ratio. You have to find other positions um, to play these Canadians at. Has that ever bit come into thought? You know, there there were it, it, there were so many different ideas floated about how to you know how to make sure that we're rewarding excellence. How do we get as many, how do we get as many excellent athletes onto the field at any given time? And I can tell you, as it related to the ratio, there were lots of different combinations and permutations floated. Okay. In the end, what our coaches were asking us for is some flexibility in terms of managing the rosters. You, you guys know this. The problem, uh, the problem with our ratio, the challenges with our rosters almost never happen when everybody's healthy. They start to kick in when you start to get injuries. And, uh, and maybe you don't have as much depth as, um, as, you, as you would like. And that's when, that, that's when we run into challenges. Yeah, yeah we've looked at, I, I mean, I like to say we've looked at all, uh, all possibilities. I think that's probably not true. We certainly looked at a lot of them. But, guys, I still think you've got to just say what the, what the Player Association Bargaining Group did and the CFL Bargaining Group did is create a foundation for, for future success and uh, and it's something that I hope all CFL fans will embrace because the future is bright and we have an opportunity to really grow our game and, um, and take the CFL to the next level. And frankly, that's what CFL uh, fans have been asking for for a long time. Commissioner, thanks for your time. Uh, there's preseason football to watch and listen to, uh, and that is great to hear, and I'm glad we got this thing done for the next seven years. Thanks for your time. Have yourself a great weekend. Guys, you take good care and look forward to seeing you at some point and having a pizza with you. There's the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, Randy Ambrosi, who chatted with Michael Ball and Luke Mullinder right after uh, the new uh, collective bargaining agreement was announced back in May. Went a little bit overboard here. We're going to hit the break on the other side. How about this guy? Corey Holmes, number 19 for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He also wore number one for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders as well. We're going to hear from Corey Holmes coming up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Corey Holmes, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, running back and returner. Corey, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Mike. How you doing today, man? Doing well. Hey, where are you living these days, and what are you up to, uh, Corey? Uh, well, I'm, I'm living in uh, Greenfield, Mississippi, uh, back in my hometown. Uh, I'm uh, actually the director of Parks and Recreation here in the city of Greenville. Uh, I'm over over youth sports. Uh, I'm like one of the biggest athletic directors in the county. Um, I'm responsible for making sure all the kids have something to do, uh, all adults have something to do. Uh, uh, 
Uh, seniors have something to do, so that's what I'm doing these days. I'm, I'm still active and involved uh, very highly in sports and still trying to make an impact. Hey, uh, Corey, um, when I say Saskatchewan, what immediately comes to Corey Holmes' mind? Oh, man, family. Uh, you know, uh, just, you know, the way um, the, the atmosphere there, um, you know, the way uh, uh, the relationship that I built when I was there, uh, that comes to mind, man. It's like my second home. Uh, I know I don't I don't come there all the time, but I, I still talk about that place. That it was a it was a place where I actually grew. Um, I was able to find myself there, and uh, I'm very fortunate you know, to have played in Saskatchewan and also have been part of a great organization there. I want to talk about a couple of years specifically. 2002 was a breakthrough year for Corey Holmes. You led the team with seven touchdowns, over a thousand kick return yards, and uh, over a thousand uh, punt return yards. You were named a Western Division All Star, a CFL Special Teams Player of the Year, and MVP of the Rough Riders. Did you feel like you finally had arrived in 2002, or do you ever really feel like you arrive in pro sports? Well, you you know you never really feel like you arrive in pro sports because it, it's what it is. It's pro sports, you know. They they are always looking for, you know, to bring in guys, you know, and uh, and it's and it's a business, you know. So uh, I never felt like I, I arrived, you know, as far as the field, you know, because I have to always you know, like I have to always you know, come back in the next year and do better than I did the year before. So, but you know, the times that we have in the locker room. You know, those were the major, major things, man. The relationship that you was able to build with uh, the teammates and also with the people who, who were there supporting you as far as the fans there. Uh, those, those were the things that, 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 that always would be in your heart and always would be, a, you know, would always have a lasting impact on you. And so every year, you know, it was pressure on you to come back in and to, to perform. Uh, so, so I never, never did, never feel like I arrived. Even after the 2005 season, I didn't, I didn't feel like I yeah. arrived after that season. You know, yes, sir. Yeah, let's let's talk about that season because I remember being I remember being on the sidelines as a sideline reporter. It's 2005. I'm on the sidelines. I think you're playing Winnipeg, and Corey Holmes opens yeah. the season with a kickoff return for a touchdown. Did you know that that year was going to be your year? Because what a way to start it! Man, it, it was it was like it was like a, a, a shot off out of a cannon uh, that year, and no, not not knowing what to expect because you know you come out of the preseason and. You know, a lot of times when you're a veteran, you don't, you know, really, you know, play a lot in the preseason. So, uh, we, we were just ready to, you know, myself was just ready to get into a real game. And, uh, and when that, when that season took off, it, it did, took, it took off very well for myself. Uh, I think that was kind of like a record breaking year for myself as far as, uh, you know, the type of season that I had. I was up for nominees for MVP, uh, of the West. You know, I was glad to be on that stage. So it was, it was a kind of, uh, Kind of you that you you know you 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 keep the world as a pro athlete. Yeah, so 2005, just to go through it, man, uh, you were a third all-time in the CFL with combined yards, 3,455, named the CFL Most Outstanding Special Teams Player, was the uh, was the West nominee for Most Outstanding Players you alluded to, a CFL <laughs> All-Star, nominated for the Tom Pate Award as voted on by your teammates. What's it like, yeah. what's it like, Corey, because a lot of us will never be in your shoes, man. What's it like to play in a season like that? Yeah, it's, it's like everything is kind of going your way and you're, you're kind of in that zone and, and, uh, and you just kind of let the game come to you, you know, and, uh, you know, knowing, knowing that, that, you know, every, every game, you know, do have the bullseye on you to, you know, to set up to try to stop you, uh, to make sure that you don't, you know, be an impact player. So those, 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 even though that year was a great year for me, it was a tough year also because people were preparing to stop you, you know, all the time. 
And and, and also, I, I want to tell, tell, tell the uh, listeners this. You know, you have to be humble in those situations. Knowing that you're having success, you have to know how to respond in those situations. You know, with some things that, you know, we lost. And, you know, maybe you didn't have a, as, as great a game as you wanted to have. So you, you have to know how to respond in those situations, even though you was having a great year. So humbleness you know, is, is what got me through that year. And I was very grateful, you know, to my teammates, you know, them being a part of, me having the success that I was having because I couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, and tell you what, man, this game can really humble you on the business side. You were traded the next year to Hamilton. How shocking! <laughs> how shocking was that, buddy? Man, it, it was it was very shocking, uh, you know. But the relationship that I had with the organization, uh, it was it was it was communicated well uh, through through our general manager at the time, uh, Roy Shiver. Uh, you know, we needed a quarterback, and, and Hamilton, you know, they wanted people. Uh, you know, to make the trade and make the deal, you know, they wanted me to be a part of it. So I understood, you know, that, you know, how it happened and it was a business. And, you know, being a place, you know, that long and knowing the type of uh, fan base you had built uh, and, and the, you know, the type of uh, relationship that you had there, it was a hard, it was tough, it was a tough transition. But again, it, it was, it was, you know, it's it's pro football. So you look for stuff like that to happen. Yeah, and you come back to Saskatchewan in 2007, though, a memorable year for the Rough Riders. So that was good. Yeah, yeah, that was great, man. We ended up uh, winning the Great Cup. Uh, that was my first time, uh, you know, winning. You know, my only time I went to the Great Cup uh, when I came back and got traded. So that was also a great memorable year, you know, to be playing up on a uh, guy like Ken Austin uh, and uh, Eric Tillman, who was there at the time. You know, traded got got me back there, you know, to finish off my career there. Uh, so you know, I had some had some great times there, you know, and uh, I felt like I was traded back for a reason. Uh, you know, to go in and get that one great cup that was destined for myself and those guys that was there at the time. So I had a great time in Saskatchewan. I never will forget the, the memories there. Never will forget the people there. And I'm always grateful to Saskatchewan. A couple more quick questions with Corey Holmes here in the Where Are They Now feature. Did you leave Saskatchewan, though, with somewhat of a bad taste in your mouth because you were cut for money the next year? Like, as good as you were, business always reared its ugly head for Corey Holmes. Yeah, I never left with a bitter taste because, you know, you know, when uh, to be in the position that I was in, uh, Mike, uh, is that, you know, to play that long and knowing that, uh, you know, I, I had doing myself that I had kind of slowed down a little bit. I wasn't the player that I was in 2002 and definitely in 2005. And uh, so I understood, you know, the business side of it. And I think it was more of a, I was kind of tired myself and I was kind of ready to come, you know, ready to give it up. You know, I did have offers to play other places, but, I just never signed with other teams. You know, I just wanted to say, hey, look, I, I left playing for the Saskatchewan Roof Riders. And so there's never been a taste in my mouth. You know, I know the business side of it. So, again, uh, hey, uh, that's part of it. And I'm always grateful, you know, for that opportunity. I tell, you know, younger guys that I coach now that, hey, you know, learn, learn the business side of this thing and, and learn to accept, you know, constructive criticism. And you can always, you know, leave with them on a positive note. Yeah, Corey, you went into coaching right after the Riders, and then you found yourself as a mayor. How did you get into politics, man? Man, uh, that 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 that's, that's something that I never thought I would have been, you know, been involved in. But you know, the people, you know, in my hometown, uh, even now they 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 still me. Actually, now I'm, I live in a bigger city now. They want me to run for mayor now, but I I just don't really want to keep back into politics. But I found myself in in those leadership roles. I uh, was able to uh, stay there for eight years. Um, didn't see that one coming, Mike. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a great experience for me. Uh, it actually, you know, uh, brought out a lot of things that I had inside of me. 
especially with my caring for people and being able to help people. Um, and so now uh, um, I am looking at other political views, you know, uh, trying trying to uh, get into other political uh, things, but not not being married anymore. I, I probably just try to get on the state level to be uh, like a uh, state official or something like that, dealing with a house seat or something like that. So I am looking to do something like that. Uh, so, but but politics, hey, that's that's part of it too. It's it's is is where we also need great people, you know, to be able to help good people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Corey, a couple of football-related questions, then I'll let you go. What is it better to okay. take a kick return back or a punt return? What do you like doing better? I like the punt returns a lot better. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The punt returns were, were it seemed like they happened a lot faster because uh, every, you know, you know, you, you, you know, it, it was it was a tougher it was a tougher kick and a tougher catch coming out the air, right? And uh, and it felt more exciting to take the, the punt return back. Yeah, that's good. That makes sense. Okay, what was Cor- <laughs> what was Corey Holmes' favorite route out of the backfielder when they lined you up in the slot? What what was your favorite route you like to run? Oh man, I love. I used to love to run the wheel route. Uh, coming out of the backfield, uh, you know, to uh, get, get the linebacker one on one. You know, I I, I I make it look like I'm running to the flat, and I turn up on the wheel route. So I used to love to run the wheel route. Awesome. Okay, if Corey Holmes could play one more game or one more play. You know, be young Corey Holmes again. What player game would you like to be in? What what play or game would I like yeah, to be in? Yeah, yeah, like what if you could do it all over again, be in a game or a certain play, what would you like to rewind and be right back in that moment? Man, I like to be back playing against Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on on Labor Day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah, those 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 were some of some of the great great rivalries that we had. Uh Winnipeg. I love to be in and one of those um, uh, Labor Day games against Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, Corey, you got 30 seconds. Anything you want to say to Rough Rider Nation here as we wrap up this interview? Uh, hey, uh, just, just, you know, uh, glad to be back, you know, uh, uh, on the interview and glad for you all to hear my voice. Uh, I want to let the people of Saskatchewan know that I still have room for you. Uh, Mr. Donald. And uh, I am on Facebook. If anybody wants to see me, I'm friends on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, uh, Corey Home. Uh, I love to reach out to some of you all and, and just start you know, uh, chatting with you all. And again, uh, thank you, Mike, for having me on this show. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed your time in Rider Nation helping to build the team we love. Take care, my friend. Thank you, man. That's one of the good ones right there. Corey Holmes, former running back, kick return specialist for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Heading to break. And on the other side, I want to feature this because uh, this was one of the best rants of 2022. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M's football coach, had a bit of a rant on uh, Nick Saban, head coach, obviously, of uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Nick Saban, he was kind of pouting a bit because his recruiting class wasn't at the top. And uh, he started accusing other schools of cheating, this and that. And then Jimbo Fisher absolutely lost his marbles on Nick Saban. That <laughs> that audio is coming up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes here on 620. I'm on Facebook. Our house.
house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the last sports cage show of 2022 here on this Friday, December 30th. Hey, we got some Regina Pats hockey tonight. The Pats are in Prince Albert set to take on the Prince Albert Raiders. The pregame show will be on the air right after we wrap up this show at 630 today with uh, Dante DeCaria. And I saw this on a Wednesday night's game at the Brant Center between the Brandon Wheat Kings and your Regina Pats. Yes, we all know the outcome. The Pats lost the hockey game. However, it was not all gloomy because the voice of your Regina Pats, Dante DeCaria, called his 100th WHL uh, game on Wednesdays. So number 101 is coming up tonight for our friend Dante. Can't wait to hear uh, his voice coming up here at 635 as the Pats look to uh, uh, get their first win of the unofficial second half of uh, the WHL season. I'm just watching a football game right here. I'm watching the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl and uh, it's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish taking on the South Carolina Gamecocks. And uh looks like South Carolina just housed one. And uh, so it uh, looks like this game is about to be tied. Notre Dame has some nice unis. Say what you want about Notre Dame. You cannot deny those uniforms. You can't deny them. All right. Let's hear this. Speaking of college football, this happened earlier this year. Nick Saban had a bit of a, you know, a temper tantrum. You know, he didn't get what he wanted. He wasn't number one in something. So he started pointing the finger at uh you know, other people, kind of what like narcissists do, you know, when things don't go their way, even though it's their fault, they start pointing the finger at certain individuals. And that's what uh, Nick Saban did for the University of Alabama. He did this at uh, Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M because uh, Texas A&M had a better recruiting class than Alabama and Nick Saban sounded off on uh, Jimbo Fisher but the audio I'm going to play you is Jimbo Fisher's response to Nick Saban's temper tantrum so here we go let's hear it first of all I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this it's really despicable it's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ and more importantly 17 year old kids you're taking shots at 17 year old kids and their families that they broke state laws they're, they're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit there and defend 17-year-old kids and families in Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit there at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to sit up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it's it, it personal to us? Yes, it is. It's personal to A&M. It's personal to our players. It's personal to our coaches and everybody involved. And I know the guy. 
know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. And I, and I hate it. For our players who are coming here, who did things the right way, have done things the right way, and will continue to do things the right way, I apologize to you that people insult you publicly the way they're doing it. And our fans, I, I apologize to you guys for people saying those things about Texas A&M. But I promise you this, there are, no, there are no violations. There are nothing wrong. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him. You'll know exactly what he's about. I always said this. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. When people show you who they are, believe them. When people show you who they are, just believe them. I like Jimbo Fischel. <laughs> Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. I should probably say his name right if I'm going to pump his tires here. But uh, that was a great rant. One of the best ones of 2022. A little bit overboard here. We're going to break for the news on the other side of the news. Kyle Borsa, who is uh, coming out of retirement to finish up his career with the University of Regina Rams, is coming up next in the sports cage for Nelson Holmes on 620s. Um. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All right. 607 inside the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. This is the last Sports Cage of 2022. Turn the page over to 2023 uh, coming up here. And uh, once again... Brand new start time for the Sports Cage starting on Tuesday, January 3rd, 3 to 6 p.m. The Sports Cage will be coming to you from now on. So I uh, can't wait to see what uh, 2023 has in store. Can't wait to see what the Regina Pats can do tonight. It was uh, kind of a letdown on Wednesday. You know, I'm not going to blame them too much, though. They're without Stanislav Svozil. They're without... Connor Bedard, obviously. I should probably say Connor Bedard first if I'm going to be, you know, talking about the players they're missing. My mistake. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one tonight. Up north there in the Art Hauser Center in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. That's where Dante DeCaria is getting all warmed up, getting his vocal cords all cleaned out, ready to go. And uh, he's uh, ready to rock here. The pregame show will be on the air at 6.35 right after the sports cage uh, wraps up today. Well, we thought this guy's career was wrapped up, but he came out a few weeks back and said, you know what, I ain't done playing football yet. I still got young legs. I'm still fast. I can still catch. I'm still built like a horse. You know, I'm still good looking. That's Kyle Borsa. That's who I'm talking about, the running back for your Regina Rams. He is back, and uh, he's uh, set to finish off his career with the University of Regina Rams. And uh, shortly after he made that announcement, he was on the air with our own Michael Ball. Here's that conversation. Yeah, I was kind of uh, upset a little bit when this guy announced his retirement because to me it was like this guy, his career just didn't... uh, finished the way I wanted or he didn't get the accolades or anything the way I wanted him to go out. That would be Kyle Borsa of the Rams who had this big post on Facebook and retired. But Kyle, welcome to the show. Merry Christmas. You're coming back, I hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was kind of surprised myself um, (laughs) in making that decision. But uh, yeah, no, I got surgery a lot sooner than I expected and uh, yeah, so I think I want to ride it out for one more year. Well, uh, 
I say ride until the wheels fall off the wagon. And I know your buddy's Mason Nias. And didn't he give you uh, the old tip or just told your dad to tell Kyle to keep playing until he can't play no more? Of course. You know, Mason Mason never wants anybody to stop playing football. So, um, yeah, he, he was super supportive too. And, um, yeah, we were kinda, he was kind of talking me off the ledge a little bit uh, in the beginning because, yeah, he's a super supportive friend. So, yeah, I'm lucky to have Mason around for sure. Tell you what, didn't that kid get ripped off of the heck, Crichton? Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. I thought he was kind of a lock for it. And then I see he didn't even get a first-team All-Canadian. And I was like, whoa. And then it kind of like, okay, well, how is he supposed to get the heck if he's on a first-team? So, yeah, I think he – I thought he, like, was going to win the heck. But it's like, okay, there's some good players around. But, like, for him to not even beat first-team All-Canadian, I was like, okay, well, that's the, wrong. That's a, ridic- <laughs> that's a ridiculous thing. He's the only quarterback up for the heck, but then he wasn't the first-team All-Star quarterback. Huh? Like, that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense. That's what I've always – that's what I've never liked about you, sports, Kyle, and you can speak to it. Like, I know the teams practice hard. Like, the coaches uh, care about it. A guy like you, nobody trains harder than you. That's why I'm glad you're back to player last year. But I feel like those people that run the sports body, like you sports or people who vote on these things or people that run the universities, they really don't – put much thought or effort into it yeah i don't know like i i would love to be a fly on the wall for those conversations but i mean i try to keep the bias out of it as much as i can because he's one of my best friends but it's like geez like number one look who he's playing against and like look at his numbers it's i feel like they speak for themselves so i don't know mm-hmm. whatever i'm not i'm not in to make those decisions and i know mason um I think he cared more about the band game more than he cared about those individual accolades. But, mm. yeah, no, I was just as surprised as anybody. So so uh, you're coming back now. Are you coming back? I know you're uh, looking to be a teacher and, and, and then get into coaching. So are you coming back just to uh, finish it off the right way yourself? And, like, you're, you're not really looking at pro ball. You just want to finish the Rams career in the right way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like I still haven't had the college career that I've wanted to, like you said. And, uh, yeah, I just didn't – I didn't want my career to end by um, something outside of myself. If I'm, if I'm done football, I want to be able to finish it on my own, not something else, you know? Yeah, so so how did you come to that decision? Because you put out this big elaborate Facebook post. I never, I talked to you quite frequently, but I just let it be. And then uh, I was starting to hear uh, rumors that you were coming back, but what ultimately flipped your decision? Was the fact you got your uh, your uh, knee surgery so fast, or what What made you decide, okay, I'm going to do this? Yeah, I think I think initially um, you I – just, I just initially thought that you have to wait – um, like a good few months before you can get into surgery. And I mean, I figured the wait for the MRI was going to be long enough just to figure out what was going on. Um, so I just felt like there's a whole waiting process. Um, I'm graduating school here um, next week, actually. So, I mean, yeah, I figured the combination of those two things, I felt like it didn't really make much sense, nor was it even feasible. And now, like... I'm six weeks out, six weeks out of surgery already, and I'm I'm running, I'm biking, and I'm doing all these things. So it's like, okay, 
Uh, yeah, I want to go back and play. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'll tell you what, it, it was a it was a really good season for your Regina Rams, uh, and I, I shudder to think what would have happened had you played and Donnelly taking nothing away from the guys who replaced you because they did it like Katende and the guys, and I know you helped those guys out, um, but you know you had a committee by running back, and then of course uh, your quarterback, oh, young Noah Pelshi, did a great job replacing Josh Donnelly. I shudder to think though what would have happened had you played and maybe even. Donnelly played. What's the team look like coming back when you come back? Do you got a pretty good chance? I mean, I think so. I think we have guys that are going to be filling in some big shoes for sure, especially on defense. Um, but I've seen those guys in practice and I've seen them in exhibition games. And even in our last game against Manitoba, we had some guys who like really opened some eyes. So I think uh, it's going to be a test for sure, but I don't think it's out of the question that we can make another run. Um, and on offense, we don't really lose too many guys, minus Riley Borisma, who's a stud uh, receiver for us. Um, so that'll be a big spot still. But other than that, our line is going to be pretty solid again. And uh, Noah's obviously playing really well. So um, if Josh can't make the comeback, then, yeah, I think we're going to be just fine there. So uh, before I let you go here, um, I think you want to get into being like a high school football coach uh, eventually if I'm if I'm right with that. So how much did last season help you in terms of you weren't playing, but you did help the running backs, you helped break down film. How much did that help you uh, kind of further cement that mindset and maybe help you with the development on that side? Yeah, it was definitely different. I mean, um, you get a different perspective on the game. So you, you kind of see how what you're teaching – and it's a reflection of you and whether they're understanding what you're saying or not. So, um, yeah, I feel like I feel for the coaches because that's not an easy job. People think coaching is uh, is something that's pretty easy, but uh, no, I'm here to tell you it's not. And people like to give their two cents after there's plays called or after something doesn't go go the right way. But um, yeah, coaching is not an easy job. So. Yeah. Hey, and lastly, your coach won Coach of the Year. That's a nice feather in Mark McConkey's cap. Just talk about what a good coach he is. Yeah, Mark's awesome. Um, I mean, he's he's a new school coach, so he's really really good relationship with his players. He'll take his players' input, and I I think that works really well for our team because I mean we have we have smart guys in the room, so uh, I think some coaches can kind of get into their own way a little bit. Whereas Mark, he is very open minded, and he'll listen to guys' concerns and what they have to say, and and he'll usually uh, put them into place. So. Um, yeah, I think Mark's got a great future for the team, and I'm really happy where he's going with the team. So, Well, I'm happy you're back, Matt. It's going to be great to, to watch. I know our buddy here, Sean Kleisinger, is the uh, public address announcer, and he's going to be happy to announce Kyle Borsa for one more year. Uh, thanks a lot. Merry Christmas and uh, to you and your family, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, thanks a lot, Baldy. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's Kyle Borsa from Kyle, the Regina Rams. Kyle, Kyle Borsa, the ball carrier. Yes, I am excited. Kyle Borsa back with the University of Regina Rams coming up here in 2023. And this is the last show of 2022. And actually, believe it or not, I'm going to shed a tear. This is the last segment coming up next of 2022. And then we're going to turn the page and get set for 2023 here on the Sports Cage. And the last segment of 2022 will be Ken Miller on going into the Saskatchewan Rough Rider plaza of honor earlier this year that's coming up next you're listening to the sports cage for nelson homes on 620 
follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. I wonder if this song is bumping in the Regina Pats locker room right now, getting them pumped up for some hockey tonight. Let's get a win. Man, it was four to nothing the other night. I don't care if we don't got Bedard or Svozel. I want to win a hockey game. It would be nice. And uh, we shall see if it happens. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop from the Art Hauser Center tonight. Dante DeCaria set to call his 101st WHL game. On a Wednesday was his 100th game. And uh, coming up tonight is number 101. Well, uh, what do we got here? Yes, let's get to Ken Miller. Uh, Ken Miller, one of the great coaches in Saskatchewan Rough Rider history. And, you know, I say that because... If it was just for a few plays here and there, the guy could be a multi-time Grey Cup champion. There's no doubt about it. So uh, uh, he was uh, a player's coach, and, you know, I only played high school football, but from my experience, I loved players' coaches. And I think if you ask any player, they would probably be like, I like players' coaches because, well... Surprise, I'm a player. So uh, Ken Miller, he was loved around, uh, you know, the fan base for the most part, I would say. I know there's a few people uh, that were not a fan of Ken Miller's coaching style. But, uh, you know, he was a nice guy. He was a good coach. And uh, this year he went into the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Plaza of Honor. And uh, this is him the day before it happened. You know, it is a tremendous, awesome feeling. You know, when we when we came into Regina, it was just a, a tender, tender moment for us to realize that we're coming home and, and to be part of a tremendous celebration. We're just so pleased. What kind of memories does it bring back? I mean, what are some of your fondest memories of your time with the team? You know, just, just being around the players, the men in the locker room, and then my wife was so integral, Maureen, you know, was so integral in the community with all the things that she did. It, it's just a great place for us and, and just a great uh, experience that we had the entire time. You mentioned the men in the locker room. What did it mean to you to get the chance to speak to this year's team? You know, I, I actually uh, got a little bit emotional. I, my voice broke a little bit. I had to get a hold of myself to, to be able to finish that talk. But it, again, another special moment, uh, a flashback to 11 years ago really is what it was. So very nice. You got emotional. Well, what did you tell these guys as they are kind of going through their own ups and downs of their season? Well, I, I told them that I was here five years, and so I had five thoughts that uh, from those five years that I would share with them. And, and I really... Uh, really revolved around you know focusing on process as as opposed to worried about outcome when you worry about outcomes it takes away from your thought process and your be able to, your ability to work on individual aspects of your process and effort uh, you know to give effort effort is the edge and not just uh, when things are going well but when things are difficult you know when you're Tired and you, you maybe bruised and bloodied a little bit and knocked down and the last play hadn't gone very well. That you have to refocus for this play and then do that time after time was another thing. And then at the, be- the motivation, the best motivation is self motivation, and discipline is the best discipline is self discipline. And and then I had them look at each other in the eye and and say that the discipline is 
for that person that you're looking at. It isn't for you. You do it for their success. So that that was the that was the the main focus of what I talked about. Have you uh, have you been in the new stadium since it got created? Or is this your first time? Yesterday, I, I got a walk through. Uh, with uh, Craig Reynolds, and that was my first time in the stadium. I had seen it under construction from the outside, but uh, first time inside, and so I'm looking forward to the game and being able to see a game in this place. What a wonderful, what a wonderful uh, facility this is. What's it like to look, look at this stadium and where this franchise has gone, knowing that you played a key role in some of the most successful years the Riders have had? Well, you know, I, I look at this and I think, Wow, what a what a place! But I have such fond memories of the old place, you know. And and uh, later tonight uh, in the acceptance uh, talk, I have a little story about that. So I'm not going to spoil that with that by telling you right now. But but uh, the special special feeling of mine for that old place, and but to walk into this place and see what it is now and the possibilities that this place has is, is really wonderful. What do you think it's going to be like to be honored at, at the game, have all the fans uh, cheering for you once again? You know, one of the greatest things about this franchise, about this province, is the fans. You know, the CFL is special for fans, but the Ryder fans, there are none like the Ryder fans. And and so it'll be really special to be, be, to be acknowledged uh, by those people who care so much about this place and about what these people do. Do you still keep up with the game uh, in your spare time with the CFL, even in particular with the Riders? I, I have a lot of spare time, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and and fortunately, uh, you know, in the states, the games are carried on ESPN two or or ESPN plus, and so I watch every game. Now, sometimes, sometimes I don't get to see them all because I fade. You know, if it's late and the game is a little lopsided or something, but I see, I see at least bits of every game, and and I especially like to watch the Riders. Yeah. Do you have a rooting interest? Do you cheer for the Riders? <laughs> I do cheer for the Riders. They're the only ones I cheer for, and and uh, I don't boo for very many. Uh, there are some, but <laughs> only only seven others. But <laughs> I was gonna say, do you boo opposing coaches more? Possibly, or maybe? <laughs> uh, no. No, no, uh, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> There's Ken Miller. He went into the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Plaza of Honor this year, and we do have a couple moments left before we wrap things up and uh, send things up north to the Art Hauser Center in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And since we're getting set for a Regina Pats game tonight, let's uh, go back in time now and relive some memories of the 1974 Memorial Cup champion Regina Pats and to uh, talk about that how about Jim Miner who played on the Regina Pats uh, that year in 1974 he actually had a pretty big year for the Pats that year he had 34 goals 74 assists a total of 108 points capped it off with a uh, Memorial Cup championship win in 1974. So here's Michael Ball earlier this year with Jim Miner reflecting on the 1974 Memorial Cup win. All right, speaking with Jim Miner, member of the 1974 Memorial Cup championship team. It was 48 years ago they won the title. Jim, what do you remember about that championship season? What comes to mind? Well, you know what? It was uh, 
The big run, we played some pretty good teams. Calgary, I remember, before we, we got there. At the time, I guess, for myself, it was more... Wasn't really thinking of Canadian Championship. It was more, okay, this is another team we got to beat, you know? <laughs> yeah. But with, oh, yeah, we had, uh, I remember uh, playing with uh, Robbie Laird and Glenn Burton. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that was fun. We had a a good, uh, a good line. Yeah, eighteen-year-old uh, Jim Miner out there, and you were—you uh, guys were against like uh, they put you on against Winard and all those guys too. Do you remember Kerry Fraser refing the championship game? It was early in his career. He was about the same age as you guys. Yeah, now, now that you mention it, yes, that's right. What was it like to finally hoist that trophy, first one in Pat's history? You know, <laughs> now this is just me. It was—it was great. But it was like, uh, oh, we did it. You know, we won it. We, you know, we had a team that there were so many Regina players and locals, you know, like Gildy Sadowski, you know. Yeah. I don't think that will ever happen again. No, absolutely not. It was back on this day, 1974. Uh, it was a 7-4 victory for Jim Miner and the Regina Pats against the Quebec Remparts. Thanks for this, Jim. I appreciate the quick walk down memory lane. Yeah, but how many years ago was that? 48, buddy. 48? 48? Oh. Yes. 1974. Okay, I can't do the math. That's the voice of Jim Miner talking with Michael Ball. Of course, that was back on May 12th, that conversation, because that was the date that Regina beat Quebec in the Memorial Cup final. And uh, 7-4 was the final. Jim Miner, like I said, he had a huge year that year. And uh, he went on to be drafted by the Buffalo Sabres in the sixth round. And uh, some great memories as we get set here to create some more memories tonight up north at the Art Hauser Center in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Dante DeCaria standing on by getting set to call this one. Let's see if the Pats can get back in the win column tonight. Well, that does it. 2022 in the books. The sports cage is been a fun ride here in 2022. We're going to be back on the other side of the calendar in 2023, back better than ever, starting on Tuesday. This coming Tuesday, the Sports Cage will be live at 3 to 6 p.m. going forward. Cannot wait for it. Thank you to all of our Sports Cage shareholders, whether you're a longtime listener, a new listener, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dogs, tell your pets. Uh, We have a lot of room. Come on board. Come on the bandwagon. Join us as uh, we're getting set here for a fun 2023 inside the sports cage. Today's show has been brought to you by Nelson Holmes. My name's Sean Kleisinger. We'll talk to you in the new year. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.